The title of this morning's message is called Swim Lessons. And John eleven forty 40 says this, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And we've been on a quest. We've been on a pursuit for his glory. And so we always talked about this. The quest that we're on must start out with a question. The question is this, is my passion for his presence and glory measurable outside of the expression of church services? And I've heard testimony over the past three and four weeks of how God has been using you outside of a worship service to pray for people in grocery store parking lots, to pray for people in gas stations, to pray for people at your workplace. And and prayers are being answered. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, because he's faithful when we step out by faith to do the work and the will of God. And so we are seeing a measurable expression of the presence of God showing up in your life outside of a church service. And the quest is not a quest if there's not a purpose. And we cannot just say we want his glory just to say we experienced his glory at church. A lot of people want to say, oh, God, I want your glory to show up. Why? Because it'd be cool. Well, there's a greater reason for his glory. God, I want your glory to show up. Why? Well, because I've always heard about it. It sounds neat. Listen, God does not waste his glory. When his glory shows up, it's always for a purpose. And so we must find the purpose of why God wants to manifest his glory right here at the Way Bible Church in Sulphur Springs, Texas. And so when we're on this reason uh, uh, for the quest, the pursuit of his glory, the reason is this. There's a mandate in Isaiah 61 verse 4. And it says, they shall repair, which means redeem or make brand new the ruined cities. And they shall redeem or make new the devastations of generations. And so we want to see generations transformed. We want to see cities transformed. We want to see God begin to fulfill his promise, making all things new. And so the quest is not for the faint of heart. We cannot stop moving forward in this quest of pursuit of his glory because of fear of what we do not understand and knowledge that we do not have. If you let fear of what you do not understand and knowledge that you do not have stop you moving forward to his glory, you limit almighty God and all of God is and all of his power to your realm of understanding. And how many of you know in my life that's not so much many times. And so if we stop a movement of God because of knowledge that we do not have and fear of what we do not understand moving forward, what we're saying is, God, you are limited to my level of understanding, okay? And to, to, to follow God, it takes faith, not necessarily understanding, okay? There are some times, like Abram, God called to Abram in the Old Testament and said, Abram, go to a place that you do not know, and I will show you where to go. He didn't understand. He didn't know where he was going, but by faith he went. How many are you glad he did? Come on. And so in your life, you may not see the end, but if God says begin to go, you may not fully understand it, but don't stop the glory of God from showing up in your life because of what you do not understand and knowledge that you do not have and do not limit the almighty, all-powerful God that we serve and love to our level of understanding. If there's a part of God that I do not understand, my understanding needs to grow. God does not need to shrink. If there's a part of God that I do and I have knowledge of, my knowledge needs to grow, not him, my, not, not him shrink so he can fit my knowledge. And so we've got to begin this quest. And, and what we want to see on this quest is, a, is an experience with the Father today that will change our tomorrow. I want you today right here in this worship service to have an experience with the Father today that will change your tomorrow. I want him to touch your life in a way today that it changes the way you wake up in the morning. Give me an amen. It's Monday tomorrow. Come on. I want God to touch your life today in a way that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you physically know something has shifted in your life. Come on now, that's powerful. I want you to wake up tomorrow morning because an experience you had today and realize the euphoria hasn't worn off because it wasn't euphoria, it was called anointing in the first place. 
Come on now. I want you to wake up tomorrow morning realizing that what God experienced, what you experienced with God today wasn't a momentary church high, but it was a life-changing transformation. I want a true experience today that will change the way you view life tomorrow. We're on a quest to pursuit for his glory. We want to see the power of God made manifest in our life. And so we're going to jump into this this morning in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. I want to read this account of Moses as we close out this series in Exodus chapter number uh, 34, verse 29. And I I love the way Moses got to speak to God face to face so much that he shone with the radiance and glory of God. And if an Old Testament man got that, man, I better start pressing in more because we said the Bible says we're part of a new and better covenant. Come on now. And if Old Testament people got to experience God like this, mm. We're missing something in the New Testament. And it's not because God's holding it back. I believe it's because we've got to change the way we think. When you found Exodus chapter 34, say amen. Amen. Say I'm there. Say I want some. All right, I just got to know you want it. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with The Lord. Everybody give God a hand clap of praise right there. Come on. There is a place in the presence of God that you can go. That you can leave it and you not even know how close you were to God until somebody tells you. Come on now. Moses left the presence of God, did not know he was shining with the glory of God until somebody said, hey, you're shining a little bit brighter. I want you to have an experience with the Father today that will change your tomorrow, that will be recognized by somebody who hasn't had the experience. Come on now. I want you to have an experience with the Father today. That you, you know something shifted because you've been in his presence. But people see it on you tomorrow. People see the glory of God on this amazing Rage Youth group tomorrow morning. Come on. People see the glory of God when you go into your workplace tomorrow morning. Because you've been in his presence. And something showed up. And so when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him. And he spoke with them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him. And he gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, I love this, he would remove the veil until after he came out. And when he came out and he told the Israelites what, had, what he had been commanded, they saw his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. Listen, the glory of God showing up in your life needs to be more than a one-time experience. Come on. Every time Moses went in, he was affected with the glory of God so much that he had to walk out and cover his face because the world couldn't stand what God had to offer. Come on now. The world couldn't stand what God had to offer, so Moses covered his face so they would come near to him. Listen, today the world needs what God has to offer. The world needs the glory of God to show up in your life because the world needs what God has to offer. Because when the glory of God shows up in our life and we know the world needs what God has to offer, we're going to see ruined cities made new. We're going to see the devastation of generations made new. And the world begins to be transformed, not because we're so good, but because his glory showed up and didn't just touch us. It rested upon us. (laughs) Come on. And we go into a lost and dying world and change it. The power of God 
and the presence of God wants to come and rest in your life. So jumping into the message, living responsibly is living with divine responsibility. We always talk about we want our kids to grow up and be responsible. We want them to be good people. I don't want them to be good people. I want them to be glorified people. Come on now. But if we're going to see this on our young people, on this next generation of young adults that's sitting right over there, on our generation, why are we always wanting for the next generation to have it? You ain't dead. Grab a hold of it. Come on now. Moses is 120 when all this was happening. Well, when he went home to be with the Lord. So he's 110 when all this was happening. Why are you saying, well, I guess we're passed by? If you're alive, it ain't passed you by. Come on now. And so living responsibly is living with divine responsibility. And we must grab a hold of divine responsibility. And we always say we want our people to live responsibly. Well, if living responsibly, I'm not sure what your definition is, but now it needs to change. Living responsibly means we understand the mandate of what it means to live with divine responsibility. There is a responsibility given from the Father to the bride of Christ. That is who we are, and that is what the Bible says we are. There's a responsibility given from the Father to the bride of Christ to live with a heavenly mandate, and that divine responsibility is this. It is the culture of heaven being brought to this earth. Listen, I went over it in the home series. I went over it in the abide series. And I'm not leaving it because we're on a quest for his glory because that's what it all comes down to. Our divine responsibility is the culture of heaven. Matthew 6.10 says this, your kingdom or culture come, your will or your culture be done on earth in our culture as it is in heaven, your culture. Now in America, we don't understand a kingdom because we're a democracy and that's all we've ever known. But Culture more accurately describes kingdom, and so I added that in there. Now, I didn't add to the Word of God. I described the Word of God, and I explained it, okay? Don't get religious. Get, get, get in the Spirit of God on this. The divine responsibility of the church is the culture of heaven. Jesus gave that mandate in Matthew 6.10, and he said, I want my kingdom or culture to come, my kingdom or my culture to be done, Joel, in your culture here on this earth as it is in my culture here in heaven. So the mandate of divine responsibility of the church is now seeing the culture of heaven come and what heaven has to offer we give here on earth. Come on. Not a pastor gives here on earth. What heaven has to offer we give here on this earth. Come on. He didn't limit his gifts to people on a stage. Come on now. Listen, and I'm just going to get on a soapbox here for just a second. I'm just, I'm just going to go way off script today. Sorry upstairs. Forget it. Listen, if you're a greeter in this church, you have the most valued position in the whole church. And if you would embrace the gifts of God on your life. When somebody walked through that door and you have the gift of healing. And, 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 if you, and you have that. Let, let, me, let me just explain it like this. When the gift of healing rests on your life and you're a greeter at the door. They don't have to come into a sanctuary to an altar call to get healed. When, when, Tammy, can you stand up for just a second? Tammy walks in the door. She's struggling with the physical ailment. The touch, the Bible says, lay your hands on them. Didn't say I have to pray over them. Didn't have to have worship service. Didn't have to have Mitch play three songs in a chorus. Come on. It, it says, lay your hands. So when a greeter with a gift that they embrace their gifts stands at the door and she needs a healing, bow. Come, come on. Culture of heaven now manifests. 
It didn't take a preacher. And in fact, preachers wish they had greeters that would embrace their gifts. So when people come in, we didn't have to worry about a crying altar call. We could have a celebration altar call because all the issues are fixed before they walk in the sanctuary doors. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. See, we must embrace this culture of heaven, and it's not for people on stage. It's for the body of Christ to embrace, and it's our job to bring it to a lost and dying world. And we're going to see the power of God manifest. So what is our divine responsibility? It's the culture of heaven. How do we accomplish the what? How do we accomplish our divine responsibility? And the answer is by his presence and glory. And the reason we're on a quest is the pursuit of his glory. And we already talked about this. It's for the making new of cities. It's for the making new of the devastation or desolation of generations that's happened. So the purpose of his glory is to set people free. So the answer to the what, or the answer to, 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 the, to the what is this. It's the, the, it's the divine responsibility. How do we do it? By the, the culture of heaven manifesting in his place. But here's the kicker. Why? See, we're doing the good English lesson. We got the what. <laughs> We got the how, the, the how through this presence and glory. Now we're answering the why. And if you don't get the why, you're never going to find purpose in why you do what you do. There's a story of an actual scientific experiment that took place with an with a, a Ivy League university. And they, began to, they, they hired about 40 people to come. And they paid them $10 an hour. And they said, dig a ditch. And so they began digging. A few minutes later, someone said, why are we digging this ditch? Don't worry about it. We're paying you 10 bucks an hour. Just dig. So they kept digging. About four hours later, why are we digging this ditch? Don't worry about it. We're paying you 10 bucks an hour. Just dig. And they kept digging. At the end of the day, they said, why are we digging this ditch? Don't worry about it. We paid you 10 bucks an hour. Here's your money. Come back tomorrow, and we're going to pay you $20 an hour. Half the people showed back up. Twice the pay, half the people showed up. So they began to dig. People began to ask, why are we digging this ditch? Don't worry about it. We're paying you 20 bucks an hour. Why are you digging this ditch? Don't worry about it. We're paying you 20 bucks an hour. At the end of the day, they paid everybody 20 bucks an hour. Said, come back tomorrow. We're going to pay you twice as much as we did today. Only about 10% of the people showed back up. Why? Because it doesn't matter how much you get paid if you don't know the purpose and why you're doing it. You don't have value in what you do. And if you don't find the purpose in what you do and there's no value in what you do, you make it look like your life is valueless when you are actually very valuable. And that's why so many of you are disgruntled in your careers. Because you don't have a purpose in why you're doing what you're doing. And so in this kingdom of God where we're embracing the culture of heaven, how are we going to do it by the, by the presence and power of God? There must be a purpose in it. There must be a purpose for us in this mandate of why we're doing what we're doing. And if we figure out the why, if we don't figure out the why, excuse me, if we don't figure out the why, we will never accomplish the what and the how. So without the why, there is no purpose. And with no purpose... The power of God will never be fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you there's a greater reason that we're doing this than to see a city made new and a generation restored. There's a greater reason. The why we're doing this is because in doing it, here it is, you become like him. If you ever question, why do I stand at this door and greet every Sunday morning? I don't know, but you better find a purpose in it. And your purpose should be because I'm becoming like him. I see the needs on people when they walk through. I don't know why I got to hand out these offering buckets every single Sunday. If you can't find a purpose in it, your purpose is this. You're becoming like him. 
And when you realize it's more than handing out an offering bucket or more than shaking a hand or more than watching a kindergarten class or more than dealing with babies in the nursery or, or more than sweeping up floors or mopping up floors after a baptism, if there's a purpose in it, you must find it. And the purpose should always be, how is this making me like him? And it should be more than, I'm just going to serve and be a servant. <laughs> no, because Jesus said the servant of all will be, if you want to become the greatest of all, you must become the servant of least. So he didn't say greatness was wrong. He said, you got to serve to get there. So we must begin to find the purpose. And the purpose of, the, uh, of what we're doing, this, the why and why we're doing this, is so we can become like him. Now let me ask you a question. Why did Jesus come? Did Jesus come to show us what God could do Or did Jesus come to show us what we could do through a right relationship with God? See, a lot of people came to say this. Jesus came to show us what God could do. I don't believe that. I believe there's more to it. I believe there's a lot more to it. I believe there's so much more to it. Jesus did not just come to show us just what the power of God could do. Jesus came to show us what we could do in right relationship with with the Father through the power of God. It's not about just God showing up and giving an answer to a problem. Jesus came to show what you could do in right relationship with the Father. Jesus displayed it through his walks, through his character. When after he fed the 5,000, he went on the mountain to get back with the Father. He came to show what we could do. What the body of Christ could do in right relationship with the Father. And even so much more, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you shall do greater things than these. He didn't say God would do greater things than these. He said you would do greater things than these. Come on now. Some of y'all are struggling with this because your religion is, is, is all over you right now. And I need you to embrace what the Father has for you. And I need you to answer the why question in your life. Why do I do what I do in the midst of a church service? The answer should be because it's making me more like him. And if you're doing something that's not making you more like him, you need to change the why and why you do it. Don't quit what you're doing. Come on. See, a lot of Christians say, well, I guess I had the purpose wrong, so I'll just quit. No, quitting is not the answer. You've quit all your life. That's why you're where you're at. Quit quitting. Start overcoming. Does that make sense? Quit quitting? I mean, I'm telling you to quit, to quit. So stop quitting. I'll say it like that. I don't know. If we're going to overcome, it doesn't, it, to, to be an overcomer means you didn't quit. <laughs> to be an overcomer means you didn't stop. To be an overcomer means you found value in why you did what you did. And you must always know the why in what you did. So the reason Jesus came is to show us what we could do with right relationship with the Father. And in doing it, we become like him. I'll prove it to you. The Bible says this in Colossians 1.15. And if you don't have these verses memorized, you need to memorize them. They're the most amazing verses that Paul writes about Jesus. Colossians 1.15 says this. Now, now remember what I just said. Remember with this, it's that there's purpose in why you do what you do, and it's to become like him or become back in his image. And, and this is why Jesus came, to show us what we could do in right relationship with him. 
And the Bible says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Stop right there. The earthly Jesus who walked this earth, the Bible says this, he is the image in the earth, the physical image of the invisible. So why Jesus did what he did was to show us what we could do in right relationship with the Father. Come on now. Because he was the image, the express physical image of the invisible God. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, now, time out there. Well, I thought Adam was firstborn. No, he started with a new creation with Jesus Christ. The Bible says he, uh, that Adam was the first Adam. Jesus was the last. <laughs> the new creation, the beginning of it. And he was the firstborn of all the new born-again creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all of these things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So if something's falling apart in your life, you need to get back in him because in him everything holds together. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. He is the church. At the, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. In that everything, he might be the preeminent. Come on now. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Right there. Come on in Jesus. Ooh, come on. I'm about to have a revival in myself. <laughs> and through him to reconcile, to bring back to him. To show what man could be like in right relationship with the Father is what that means. And through him to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done is what he's saying. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By by making peace by the blood of his blood on the cross of Calvary. So he did everything he did by the shed blood on the cross of Calvary. So what you did after he did that, it means he already paid the price for what you haven't even done yet. So quit beating yourself up over something you did in the past because he paid for it before you were even born and even did it. So now you need to get back over here and say, what is it like when I get in right relationship with the Father? How do I begin to act in right relationship with the Father? What does my life look like? In the home series, we said this phrase, and it says, who Jesus was and is, we now become. We're not just the Father's pathway, we're the Father's image here on this earth. We're not just the Father's pathway to the earth. We are the Father's image here on the earth. Which brings us to the great struggle. The great struggle. We describe the Heavenly Father like this. That he's a good, loving, wonderful, amazing, all-powerful Heavenly Father, full of grace, who can do miracles, who can transform lives. But if we're the image of the Father here on the earth, what we say And the image we're presenting, they're not matching. So the world, if they got to believe something, they're going to believe what you do, not what you say. So if we want the world to start believing in the church again, the church got to start doing something, not saying something. If we're going to see the glory of God manifest, the church has to start doing something and quit talking about something. Come on. If we're going to see the power of God show up and we're going to prove to the world that he's a loving father, he's a good, good father. We sing songs about it. All his promises are yes and amen. And we answer all these questions. He's full of grace and mercy and, and the blood of Jesus covers all your sins. But we don't act by like what the father said or what we say about the father. When our actions line up with our descriptions, we'll have the image of the father here. Because the great struggle is this. I know what the Bible says about it, so I got great education and knowledge about it. 
but I haven't experienced it, so I can't present the image of it. Some of you who are bitter, you need to have an experience with forgiveness. Some of you who have trust issues need to have an experience with the Father and learn how to trust. Because the great struggle is this. What the world sees versus what we're presenting, the world says, I believe the Heavenly Father, the Father of Jesus Christ, looks like this. He's bitter. He's angry. He's not forgiving. He's not, he's not loving. He's a God of wrath. Because that's the image the church is presenting. I know that doesn't sound nice, but I'm just telling you what the world sees. Go, go outside of Northeast Texas. Get out of the Bible Belt. Stay in the Bible Belt. Just get out of your, your, your realm of circle or whatever you're in. Go to a place. Go, go to Austin, Texas. Come on now. Everything's different in Austin. Go to Austin, Texas. Say, what do you think about... God the Father, who we would say is the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. What image do you have? And the image they have will directly reflect the actions of mainly the most churches across America. He's short-tempered. He's bitter. You say he's full of grace, but the church doesn't give grace. You say he's full of love, but I don't see love in the church. You say he's, he's full of blessing. I see the church saying, build me, want me, give me. Come on now. The great struggle we face with displaying the glory of God is the image that we say about the Father and the image we're presenting of the Father are two different things. So what we must do as the church is what Jesus said, reconcile all things. <laughs> Make what we say about his image line up with the image we're presenting. Oh, come on now. That should have got a better answer than that. We must reconcile the two. What do I mean by reconcile? You, do you reconcile your checking account? You, you make sure what you have lines up with what the bank has. <laughs> Come on. Okay, maybe we don't reconcile. Some of y'all are like, really? <laughs> Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University is being offered at base groups this coming fall at TWBC. Sign up at the table on the corners of the sanctuary. <laughs> he needed to reconcile it. Bring it back together where they agree, where they look the same, where they balance out, and we live it. So that is the great struggle in the church. So what does God do? What does God do about this? Right, we can talk about what we can do. What does God do about this? Here's what God does about it. Instead of giving us an answer, many times he gives us a promise. Instead of giving us an answer, many times he gives us a promise. Corey, can you help me right quick? Y'all give Corey a hand clap this morning. Yeah, get up on stage with me. Hey, Corey, can you play God for just a minute? <laughs> so he, he looks good, doesn't he? I expected God to be a little taller, but I can't say. I mean, who, who am I to talk? Like, really? Here we go. This past summer, we paid for our kids to do something called have swim lessons. And in that they were having swim lessons, they would make them sit on the side of the water, on, on the, the, the concrete there, the outside of the pool. And the teacher said, I want you to jump in. Okay? 
And so the first time, all the kids' faces were like, but there's water. (laughs) But I can't swim. And so after a while, the kids began to jump in the water. And you want to know what it looked like? (laughs) Help! And they made it to the teacher. And you know what happened when they grabbed the teacher's hand? (gasps) 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 So if the image of the church, of what we say about God and the image we're presenting don't line up, what does God do? He gives us a promise, not the answer many times. What did did that illustration do? See, when my son jumped in the water, he was focusing on not drowning. When my son jumped in the water, the teacher was focusing on him swimming. See, when you jump off in the water, you're focused on my marriage is falling apart. How does my marriage not fall apart? God's focusing on your marriage surviving and getting to him. Okay? And... You jump in the water. You come to church, you jump in the water of his glory, and you're sitting here, oh my gosh, I'm struggling. I'm drowning in something. My marriage is falling apart. My kids are falling apart. I can't make it. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. How do I get to the other end? And God promised it, and God said he was there. And you know what? You made it there, and you didn't drown. See, here's the problem. We're so focusing on us not drowning that we didn't realize we're swimming. It wasn't a pretty swim. It wasn't a great swim. It dadgum sure wasn't Michael Phelps' 23rd gold medal swim. Come on now. It didn't look anything like that. But you know what? Friday night, my kids had a birthday party for my oldest son. And the kid I saw jump off the, the concrete into the water, focusing on not drowning, now doesn't sit on the edge. He runs and just jumps off in it. And swims because the teacher taught him to focus on swimming, not not drowning. So what does God do in your life? He gives you a promise. He is the promise. And sometimes when you're jumping off in the water, you seem like you're struggling. And so your focus changes from the promise in God saying he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he'll never let you down. Your focus changes from him to not drowning. But God in his faithfulness, even though your focus is wrong, you ended up getting to him not drowning, but after time you learn that you're not drowning, you're swimming. And so by his promise, you're a better person now than if he would have just gave you the answer. By his promise, you're more like him now than if he would have gave you the answer. Because if I would have just gave my son the answer, which would have been a life jacket or floaties, he would never look like Michael Phelps. Probably still won't. If I would have just gave him the answer, and the answer would have been, don't sink, and gave him a life jacket, and my answer was, don't sink, and he just began to float, he would never become more like God. If God just gives you an answer and fixes your marriage, bloop, all at once, instead of giving you a promise, in the end, you're just a person that still can't swim with an answer. You never learned how to become like him and overcome the problem. So the next time there's a problem, you're just asking for another answer. When God says, I don't want to keep giving answers, I want to make you like me. So what does God do? He gives you an answer. He gives you the promise, not an answer. His promise is the answer. But in that, he's teaching you how to overcome the water. Where we were, at first we're focused on not drowning. Now we're focused on swimming. 
Your swim lessons are this in life. Jesus came to show what it would be like for a man to live in right relationship with the Father. In doing so, he's got to teach you how that looks. And so in doing it, he gives you a promise that you've got to strive to reach to in your life. Give Corey a hand clap this morning. We need to understand that God develops our strength and makes us like his likeness and image by giving us a promise rather than the answer. Listen, when he gives you a promise, we're forced to do this. We're forced to move toward him and receive the desired answer or result. So when he gives you a promise, he's got a thought process in mind. Joel's in a problem where he's at. The only way to get rid of the problem, not give him the answer, get rid of his problem completely, is not to give him an answer, but to make him like me. To make him like me, i got to give him a promise that he'll strive to, to move toward me. And the closer he gets to me, the more he looks like me. The more like Moses came out of the tent showing with his glory, he began to look like God. See, we got to realize in doing so, when God gives the promise, not just the answer, we're first, we are forced to learn how to believe him before the answer comes. We're forced to learn how to believe him before the answer comes. We're forced to believe that he is true and his promises are true before the answer manifests. This is called walking by faith. Romans says this, call those things that be not as though they already were. It says the God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that be not as though they were. Before you see the physical side happen, he gives us an answer to move us towards him, to become like him. You know, as a parent, I realize this. If my kid gets to fourth grade and he's doing great intellectually, but I never taught him how to be potty trained, come on now. I got a bigger, I got, I got a bigger problem <laughs> Then worry about if my kid passes class or not. See, so many times in our life, if God just gave us the answer, we'd find ourselves on the other side of the problem. But we wouldn't know how to do it ourselves and overcome it and walk in the authority that he called us to walk in. See, I'm setting you up for the next series. (laughs) This point is setting you up for the next series. Because if we're going to see his glory come, and if we're going to be in his likeness, in his image, we're going to have to figure out how to identify and have the identity of the Father. So the next series we're going into is his identity. We're going to become like him in this. We're going to do the things that he taught us to do. We're going to be who he taught us to be. So when he gives us the promise, it forces us to learn how to believe him that he's true before we see the answer come. That's why Jesus said, I want you to sit down in groups of 50. He saw the answer coming before he actually manifested it. I want you to sit down in groups of 50. And then he said, give me the five loaves and the two fish. Come here. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to pray over it. I'm going to bless it. Y'all go do it. You see, they forced the disciples. They were in the same boat we were. Jesus, what are we going to do with all these people? They're starving. Send them home. Jesus said, you feed them. What? He's forcing us. To believe him before we see the answer come. Some of y'all are thinking, well, that's so hard. No, it's not. Here's why. Amen. How many of you born again? Give God a hand clap of praise. 
So you know, you know heaven is your home. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Are you there yet? You're already believing him before the answer comes. And if you can do it with such a massive issue of salvation where your soul is dying and going to an eternal hell or you can live in an eternity of heaven with God forever, if you can believe that phenomenon and miracle, come on, there's nothing else you can't believe for. He's forcing us to believe him before we see the answer come. So much so that God said this. This is where it gets good. It's not just you getting there one day. It's you bringing heaven to you today. Come on, that's Matthew 6.10. I ain't got time to go there, but I'm going to finish this out. In doing so, we also learn how to exercise his will in circumstances and conditions that are contrary to his will. We learn how to exercise the will of God. This is why the Bible, when we talk about it many times, we say, oh, Father, we want you to come and do a healing. And God says, oh, my son, my son, he died on the cross for you to do the healing. <laughs> We're asking God to do what he's telling us to do. <laughs> you know? And here's the problem. If you're a boss or you're an employee, if you got to do what you hired somebody to do, somebody's not worth it. And you fire that person. God's not in the firing business. He's in the believing business, and he still believes in you. That's why he hadn't given up on you yet. That's why he hadn't given up on me yet. Lord knows I'm still swimming pretty ugly at times. Come on now. In this process of what he's calling us to do, we learn how to exercise his will in circumstances and conditions. And if you've been here on Wednesday night, you understand. Circumstances are things that happen in life because life is life. Conditions are things that happen in life that you caused. Some of you are in a bad condition because you made a bad decision. Some of you are in a bad circumstance because life showed up. He gives us authority. This is where in Genesis it says, man, I give you authority in the earth. Fill the earth, subdue it, take authority over it, rule and reign on it. He gives us authority over circumstances and conditions. But we got to exercise it. we got to begin to use it. we got to begin to operate in it. So when God gives us the promise, not just the answer, he forces us to learn how to believe him before the answer comes. We learn how to exercise his will in circumstances and conditions contrary to his will. Thirdly, we become like him. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to me. To when God looks at me and says, dang, he looks like me. You know, as a dad, when my kids, I see him, it's like, shake my head, it's like, Oh, gosh, they look just like me. <laughs> Pray for my wife. Lord, help her. Never forget one time. I'll close with this. Never forget one time we were leaving karate practice. And they taught our kids that if somebody ever is going to kidnap you, don't just scream and yell and kick and fight. They said, drop to the ground, grab the person's foot and say, you're not my daddy, you're not my daddy, you're not my daddy. <laughs> We were walking out of karate practice. <laughs> My youngest son, y'all know him. Absolutely amazing bundle of joy. We are walking out. Caleb's right here, well-mannered, being awesome. Like his, being the image of his daddy. <laughs> Come on. We get to the door. I start to open the door. He drops to the ground, grabs my feet. You're not my daddy. You're not my daddy. You're not my daddy. I look at him and I said, son, there's no denying who your daddy is. You look just like me. You are my image. And everybody just started laughing because it was so true. 
I say that and end with this for this reason. The Father looks at you and says, there's no denying you're in my image. Because he's seeing the answer before you even see it in yourself. When he looks at, when he looks at Crystal, he see, looks at Crystal and says, oh, you're in my image. You don't see it yet, Crystal, but I see you in my image, and I'm proud. That's <laughs> why so you as parents, whenever you talk about your kids, you can't help but smile. Even when they're in trouble and you're talking bad about them, you can't help but smile. <laughs> see, the Father says, I see my image in you. And what he's trying to do is draw out what he sees in you so the world sees it in you. Not just in you, but the world sees it on you. So when the world looks at you, they say, wow, you look a lot like that guy I read about in the Bible. His name was Jesus. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the physical manifestation of God, the fullness of him right here in this earth. And God's whole desire through his presence and glory and the quest that we're going on is to make you like him in this process.